Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekkie perspective. My name's Liam Dempsey and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Matt. Hello. And Paul. Hello. I almost said Sophie then because you're using your <laughs> wife's <laughs> account. <laughs> uh, we are here for another edition of Spotlight at the Movies, the thread of our podcast where we analyze a film featuring a member of Star Trek alumni either in front or behind the camera. Today, it is LA Story from 1991. Uh, rather than do an interview with me, which would be fascinating, by the way, I thought that possibly I'd take you on a, you know, kind of a cultural tour of L.A. Look how he's painted the blouse, sort of translucent. You can just make out her breast underneath it. You know, when I see a painting like this, I must admit, I get a little emotionally erect. Una See, I'm done already, and I don't remember reading. What's his girlfriend's name? Sheila, Sheila, Sheila. She's the one who's always kissing everyone. Hello, I hate that. I'm not kissing anyone hello anymore. How was I in the meeting? You were good. Any advice? Sure. Skipping. Skipping is the perfect compromise between running and walking. It looks too desperate if you run to a meeting. She's seeing someone else? Yes, yes. She's going away with him. So go away with me. I can't. Don't you see? I would just be using you to get even with her for going away with someone else. I don't mind. Let's go. Great. Steve Martin. Did you know that the same technology used to clean up the Alaskan oil spill can also suck fat from your thighs and chin? L.A. Story. I'll have a decaf coffee. I'll have a decaf espresso. I'll have a double decaf cappuccino. Jimmy decaffeinated coffee ice cream. I'll have a half double decaffeinated half cap with a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. Yeah, I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. And the Star Trek connection is Patrick Stewart, Jean-Luc Picard himself. Uh, he is in this film for two scenes, but oh, what scenes they are. <laughs> we decided to do this film because we're kind of having a little test run of some new ways of recording. So uh, this was something that I know, Paul, you had recently watched. And Matt, it's an old favorite of yours. Yes. And it would be my first time with it. So it'll be interesting to see how we all took to it. Matt, of course... The concentration for us is the man, the myth, the legend that is Pichu. But the star (laughs) of this film is a comedy legend, Steve Martin, one of the wild and crazy guys covered in previous guest Nick Semlin's brilliant book, Wild and Crazy Guys, which I believe you are reading at the moment, Paul. I've read it. You Uh, enjoy it. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? It is amazing. And And this was the one film from that book that I hadn't seen that I wanted to see after I read the book. And uh, oh, okay. Julie like cracked it. And you uh, were tempted by Oh Heavenly Dog or whatever that shit <laughs> chased <laughs> off was called. Well if he's not bothered to watch it, why should I? <laughs> and Matt, you are a huge fan of Mr. Mine, aren't you? I am. Well this all kind of you know potted history started from sort of school days with the release of stuff like Bowfinger which I know Paul you and I would have seen at the time and then not long after it in sort of college era got introduced to Planes, Trains and Automobiles which remains one of my all-time favorite films. I think between that and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels as well the two of just absolute classics and then it became one of my earliest 
uh, letterbox lists i think of going oh let me try and you know do a, uh, tick off a whole load from an from an actor and make a little ranking list so according to it looking at it now uh, i've done 25 of his movies and um yeah planes trains dirty rotten little shop and bowfinger sitting pretty at the top and then the rest has been a real joyous discovery because so many of his 80s movies especially i hadn't seen like roxanne and lonely guy and even father of the bride actually i hadn't seen before and i got around to it so yeah so this would have been one that i would have picked up when I was kind of getting through that first initial phase of watching as much Martin as I could on DVD, I would have just caught it somewhere. So, but yeah, second time watch for me, but first time in quite a while. That poster is stupendous, isn't it? Like it's the a great uh, poster with, with the palm trees and the sunset, of the of the cartwheel, and I think you know that the image. Like you know, I just I was aware of LA Story for the longest time, but I wasn't quite aware of the extent to which Steve Martin was a you know force behind the camera as much as in front of it. So this is very much a passion project and unfiltered Martin, I think, as much as we'll ever see. You know, yes. so you know, reading that passage of the book was like, okay, there's time because I, I'm a massive Martin fan as well, and I've done my own many season. I, I, I fortunately fall ten short of your record Ooh. at the moment, so I've only seen fifteen, but I have seen one that you haven't. Oh yeah, um, which I would recommend it called Leap of Faith. Oh, when's uh, that out? It is out 1992. Right. Uh, it's a straight play straight where he's like a traveling Christian faith healer who has a, a, a living traveling around America holding revival meetings and conducting miracles. You know, it's it is play straight, but I think there is like there's some humor in there because, you know, get him up on a stage doing his thing. But I remember catching it late one night in the 90s, like uh, on TV. And it really just like suddenly I, I, I was up way too late because I just couldn't uh, stop watching it. It was a really good film. So, yeah, I think it's an underseen gem. Yes, but I think we we definitely are uh, subpartico on a lot of the uh, classics. I mean, I hold Planes and Trains as you know as high esteem as you do, and I feel I've done like pretty much every Christmas I give you Planes and Trains related memorabilia. Well, yes, as I have <laughs> right here, still have the Canadian Mounted, which is a Planes Trains trivia book made up to look exactly like the uh, paperback novel erotica that, <laughs> that John Kenny's reading in the airport, which yeah. I read on the train down to Brighton or back home afterwards and got some funny looks. It was very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's interesting to mention both things. I forgot we did see that at the cinema together, you know, and that subsequently was a VHS purchase to me, one of the last. Uh, but, uh, you know, that film was really funny. And I think we were just, I think we surprised because it surprised me because I was, I grew up in the era of like Steve Martin's kind of slump and my dad would talk about, oh, he used to be really funny. And then it was like Sergeant Bilko was on Sky Movies. I like, I didn't watch it, but like, it just had such terrible notices. You weren't, you weren't immune to the bad press around Steve Martin in the mid nineties. Like even as a child, read all about it. Steve Martin's washed up. (laughs) You know what I thought of immediately because you said your dad said he used to be funny. Why aren't you funny anymore? <laughs> I know. And sadly, you know, that comment, like he went into therapy after hearing that. Steve, can I just ask you a question quickly? Which really is the question that you, you, you must have been asked. Well, oh, I know that the BBC. How ca- they're, they're please, like, one uh, question. That's commercial. What's the question? The question is, how come you're not funny anymore? It is cutting beyond belief, isn't it? And also a Dennis Pennis. Uh, for anyone who doesn't remember what Dennis Pennis is, this is one of Paul Kay's creations where he played a kind of fake movie pundit and he'd go on red carpets and basically just saying terribly insulting things to Hollywood celebrities. And famously, that's that's one of his. Uh, Steve Martin just walks off. It's one of those things where 
it is fucking hilarious because Paul Kay is a hilarious comic actor at the end of that. And a lot of his jives were incredibly funny and cutting, but fuck, they were cutting. Well, and, I think this yeah. is, you know, find out a little bit why he made those changes in the in the Wild and Crazy Guys. The next book is fantastic for this kind of insight where you have he got to the end of like the uh sort of 80s, he finished like Doug Roxanne, the parenthood, he finished the decade and he was on holiday and he saw on TV Last Boy Scout. It, he found it horrible. Like he saw the family disintegrating, Bruce Willis, you know, his wife's cheating on him, his daughter's got a potty mouth. He's like, oh, this is where the movies are at. I resolved myself to not like go to do comedies that kind of like go for the gutter. I'm going to you know, assign myself to family roles. And that changed his whole way he picked projects. If some of them hit, some of them were massive successes. But, you know, it's a different Steve Martin in the 90s that we get from the mm. 80s. And uh, it was his reaction about the, kind of the, the prevailing winds of the movie industry. We watched Last Boy Scout and I said, more please. <laughs> I thought you were about to say like Steve Martin's sort of Last Boy Scout I was like, wow, this is what I've got to do. I was like, why did we never get the Steve Martin action film? Well, we did. Brazos. Played Brazos uh, on 220 episodes of Network TV. Yeah. I realised you said you'd seen 15, Paul. I've seen 16 Steve Martin films, so I'm just like, what's the one that like I've seen and you haven't? Or the other way around. I mean, obviously, we won't have seen the same 16. Yeah, like you say, he, he slipped more into family roles, so it's kind of softer side. But at the same time... He was still a Serbit Martin, like the first Father of the Bride. The second one is very mushy and sentimental, but the first one, he, he's still kind of classically a Serbic Steve Martin, just with a more kind of family man role, as it were. But I, I, I enjoy the first Father of the Bride. That's fun. And Parenthood is obviously a very good film as well. It is one that grew on me over time when I first saw it. Um, when I was young, I was like, boring. And then I rewatched it a couple of years ago and was like, oh, it was really good. Yes, it's, a, it's really good. I, I, I watched it again the other night. I, I watched it, I saw it again six years ago, and then I watched it with Sophie the other night because just we're on a Merrill Martin kick with working away for only birders in the building. And I think, uh, you know, it was a hard to sell for her. So she's not as much of a convert to the, the Church of Martin. And I think she started to kind of roll her eyes a bit where you have the kind of midpoint of the movie where there's a children's birthday party, the entertainer hasn't turned up. And Martin, who has been playing it quite straight as the, you know, a dad who's anxious and he's worried about his kid, becomes the cowboy, a cowboy gill. You know, does his affects his voice as imagine does, but, but then it it slightly wins her over when he starts like getting a limp when he falls off the horse, and she started to laugh about that. But I think it was just enough of like the reality combined with his persona that you know brings it off in the movie. It's a really good balancing act. You get you kind of like crazy Martin, but you also you, you it's a, it straddles the two eras in a way. And I mean, even his he is an actor a, a bit like Peace Tune in some ways, where even his look is iconic like in terms of like you know that that white that shock of white hair that's so so different so particular to him and he instantly recognizable in that sense uh yeah i mean he's a brilliant comic actor and i i can't say i'm as massive a martin fan as maybe you matt but he he is undoubtedly like a brilliant comic performer it's strange to return to this and see how this is a film that really kind of allows him to shine as a writer and lead in a you know contemporary set story that leans into a very specific tone, uh, like one of which that we haven't really 
seen a lot of and it's it's kind of almost muppety and of course you know he's in that first muppets movie in that where it plays quite you know fast and loose with like the rules but it's all very satirical like it feels very much in this film especially kind of like a more heightened curb in a way like before curb because it's a lot about comedy of manners and stuff and modern society of early 90s la and it plays into that but it's interesting to see him arrive at this film now having you know gone through some other follies like uh, like pennies from heaven for instance uh, in the earlier 80s which is a you know very kind of ambitious musical comedy in a way remake um, of the Dennis Potter TV series yeah. starring Bob Hoskins of course and from even Bob like Hoskins Roxanne to Steve before. Martin that's a crazy recast yeah. <laughs> and it's funny just how much I realized I didn't appreciate LA story the first time around compared to now of of just really zeroing in of what this tone of comedy is doing throughout, which I just really appreciated. Well, like you say, Paul, that poster, I agree that poster is excellent and it kind of signals something very different. Yes. Kind of slightly reminds me of the um, the Gangari Ross poster. If you know the one that I mean, not the maybe... Oh, the uh, walking up the tightrope. Yes, yes, right. yes, yes. Kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Um, and obviously kind of comes out at a similar time. Um, I should say, just for a quick kind of plot logline of this film. Uh, so this, as Matt says, is very much a satire on 90s Los Angeles. Uh, so with the help of a talking freeway billboard, a wacky weatherman <laughs> played by Steve Martin tries to win the heart of an English newspaper reporter who's struggling to make sense of the strange world of LA. And yeah, this is, is very much an LA satire. It's very celebrated as such a lot of people say this is the film that gets la the most right um and i agree with you matt i also thought of curb because curb is is very much a kind of you know piss take of that kind of la culture in a lot of ways. I, I, I said this if, if curb is a piss take this is a love letter oh you think so yeah like i think he loves it like, and i think that's well i know he does because that's in the in the research that Nick did as well, like where he he spoke about how he took the director for who's English, uh, Mick Jackson, on like mm. late night rides around his favorite parts of LA, listening to like thirties French songs. But like, you know, it was like, to call me like you know uh, high a uh, low brow like for him that was just the thing that just just loved and uh, so yeah, I think it's it's a love letter really. It's it, you, you know it's skewers the it, to a sense. are affectionate. But, well, I think absolutely, and I think you know he's aware, very much aware of like the Hollywood machine. I think there's a really telling joke in Bowfinger actually, where he goes to a, like a business luncheon and like puts on a ponytail, like a stick-on ponytail, to sort of like be seen as like a high flyer, uh, and then kind of like you know rips the phone out of his car to pretend it's like a like a mobile phone <laughs> with, the, with the cord still trailing. But I think that's the, you know that's his thing. That's his like you know take on LA. It's a, it's it's kind of facade. There's a lot of pretensions, yeah. And like you know, yeah, a, a yeah. lot of this. I think, like you say, show. maybe it's affectionate skewering. But you know, he definitely you know, shows the art scene of LA. You know, the, yes. the, the real museum. He got permission to shoot in for his uh, roller skating kind of like set piece, uh, which he'd learned to like rollerblade for. Which is very funny and yeah. very where he kind of like he's a weatherman, but he kind of part times as a performance artist. Yeah, well, he would be big, on, be big on TikTok today. It's just man out of time, clearly. Like, you know, this is like, <laughs> yeah, because he's being filmed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. More video vignettes that he's, I don't know what that's about, like what it's for, but it's just fucking great little bit of color, isn't it? Yeah, but he's uh, just hope videos, isn't he? He's not putting on vines. <laughs> this is my way of keeping busy. I call it performance art, but my friend Ariel calls it wasting time. History will decide. 
there's lots of little lovely touches. I mean, this is quite a kind of sketch comedy film in a lot of ways because there's lots and lots of little one-off gags like set around mm. LA. Like you know the um the bit about the thing no one walks in LA. Walk in LA? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So he literally just drives two stops up the roads. Hilarious. And also the ordering of the decaf coffees with everyone that's that's hilarious and uh, uh, ultra pretentious like, restaurant well yeah and there's like you know a person who's at the table who's like this woman who says like uh i hear you're like taking a a course in the art of conversation she goes yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a really funny film like in a really kind of smart way like you know you're like watching it going this is not because we were saying about steve martin writes this it wasn't the first uh script he wrote he wrote or at least co-wrote scripts to the jerk dead man oh, don't wear and plaid. roxanne roxanne was his solo screenplay credit before this right um, okay so the others are co-written man with two brains free amigos all that kind of yeah. stuff obviously he would go on to write shop girl i haven't seen shop girl but i feel like perhaps it's a bit of a natural successor to this in terms of a slightly more kind of... Uh... Well, I'll tell you what the natural says is, what the great uh, double feature of this film is. Mm. Punch Drunk Love. Yes, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Because I feel that this is a forerunner of that artsy kind of star-crossed lovers. It's like this slightly bizarre heightened reality with, with a touch of fantasy thrown in. Yeah, you know, surreal. Colour color is, makes a big part in both movies. I just feel like PTA must have got a lot out of like seeing LA Story and going, you know, there's there's a lot in the visual style. I mean, it's the best shot comedy I think I've ever seen, like mm. this film. I don't uh, think it's on Blu-ray, is it? Certainly not it in, is. The in the UK. Oh, in the it? US it is. Oh, in the US, not in the, not in the UK. Um, mm. Yeah, I probably, I want to catch it. Actually, unfortunately, it's got a shit cover, but not the poster <laughs> art, which is really, just, really oh, bummer. But... Well, my old DVD is just one of the most pixelated messes ever. It's like real, like, oh man, yeah, this is 360p. Or oh, no. <laughs> I, I rented it from Prime, and it was mm. kind of that kind of weird prime thing where you feel like it's halfway between a dvd and a blu-ray yes like uh yeah. where it's kind of like you're like this is definitely better than a, like a normal dvd but at the same time it's not quite a blu-ray transfer it's like feels like an upscaled yeah, <laughs> yeah, feels, like... yeah I, I imagine it was so i think there's quite a recent sort of 4k sort of restoration that's on that blu-ray uh in the us right. but yeah so we just got this shitty scrubbed like you know early hd transfer if it, you know just didn't look good it's a very well that's the thing it's like why i've not seen up to date it was like it's really hard to track down and eventually i had to download it yeah uh, it's literally just available horrible. on dvd in the uk um i mean you know that might it's be bullshit. deleted but yeah, it's, you, it's, it's, sure it's on, on good old cinema paradiso it's available but i'm i rented it for kind of like time purposes and now it sounds like that was a good choice um at, based on your dvd experience <laughs> yeah um, I, I think I think in terms of like it feels you know in the, how it differs from a punch of love which feels like a more complete kind of like tonally all the way through it's sort of like that's it's very well whereas this i feel you know it is on a first viewing and i could see where matt like you might have kind of been in jive with it first off the bat but perhaps revisiting you just see kind of what a special film this is is that it is you know kind of like are you because some of this comedy is so broad yeah and then it but then you'll have a really clever kind of like you know new 
sort of touching scene that's that feels like from something else entirely that's really heartfelt there's a scene where the the lovers steve martin and his wife uh victoria tennant plays the love interest have a scene where they kind of walk through a garden and then it re they regress into the child version of themselves which is you know all set to kind of like a very kind of new agey kind of like soundtrack and it's beautifully done and that's like different tone almost entirely to some of the kind of things you've seen earlier in the movie but it kind of works i like it i mean it feels like a real rom-com like a real romance as well like it's not just a wacky uh sketch thing although it's sort of built around those bones but i think i think that's maybe why when i saw it the first time i was spent too long trying to work out what mm. it was what the plot was and stuff and then realizing this time like okay i kind of know it's just about him sort of you know having a crush on uh this woman who's in town and you know her ex-husband is there played by richard e. grant who's just hilarious mm, as well and right. early yeah, 90s popish englishman funny. but it's like it, it it is it's real it feels it's weird to say that it does feel real and and lived in when it plays in such wacky spaces as well because you know one of the one of my favorite bits as well is when they're driving on the highway and everyone just gets their guns out and it's just like, this is yeah this yeah. is uh, just yeah. having this shootout well, firing away at this old lady uncut martin that kind of yeah. thing is just like yeah it's his head firing at like fridge was that and nobody <laughs> telling him no but in this case it works and sometimes it's a recipe's on and i think you know 1991 also saw the flip side of where this goes really terribly with dan was nothing but trouble which i will never watch because i've seen enough of it to know it's that's a dog <laughs> shit but like yeah that's this is where it, it comes off you know where you get the kind of the auto touch in a sense you know but yeah, there is a director at least filtering some of that. But I think, you know, Powell and Pressburger, that I feel it feels very the fantastic elements some of you see in those films is, you know, a modern twist on that with the billboard. And I, you know, I think that's really quite magical that way, that device. A little bit Capra-esque, it almost feels like an updated yeah. version. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? In terms of that that kind of thing because almost like because you know Capra was not averse to fantastical sequences my favorite film of all time it's a wonderful life because starts with you know an angel talking to gods in the sky and that feels a little bit of that that fantastical nature coming yeah. through and you buy it within the kind of context of the film I think that's it it sort of gets away with it and there's lots of other sort of strange kind of like diversions as well aren't there throughout the film you have a kind of subplot where he's sort of uh, meeting a very good uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, like as this uh, rep, is it she a, a sales rep at a, a clothing Clothes store? store? Yeah, she's like ultimate ditzy sort of valley girl yeah. type. Yeah, Sandy, your your breasts feel weird. Oh, that's because they're real. That's another kind of piece of LA satire, isn't it? Very much so. Um, but yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker's character, Sandy, it's it's an interesting one because in many ways, obviously, she's a complete male fantasy figure, but it's played so ridiculously that you feel like it's completely deliberate. Like, you mm, know, there, the there's, a, there's a bit where Martin is kind of, you know, just saying all the reasons why they shouldn't be together. And no matter what he says, uh, she's just like, oh, no, no, it's fine. And you do feel like it's played to an absurd degree. Like, you're meant to laugh at the ridiculousness of the situation, like, rather yeah. than just think, oh, yeah, she actually would kind of fall into bed with mm. Martin no matter what. Well, there's that, like, you know, fucked up dynamic she has with her boyfriend who's just sort of, like, just watching yes. them the whole time. It's yeah, like, her boyfriend's getting, yeah. like, cucked, isn't he? Like, yeah, and there's, like, there's a great shot where they leave her kind of, like, uh, beach apartment and, you know, there's this great one tracking shot which does include, like, a tilt up to him in the window looking out at them. I was, like, waving them off for, like, a romantic yeah. weekend away. Yeah, she's like, say <laughs> wave goodbye to him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's very charming in the role. It's interesting because... 
it kind of flits between his relationship with her and with the main love interest, which is the English newspaper reporter. And at a certain point, I was kind of almost a bit kind of confused, like, because it seemed to be the romantic plot seemed to be going down with Sarah Jessica Parker for a while and that kind of flits back and you're kind of like, oh, she's just a distraction and this is the woman he really wants to be with. Yeah, uh, and there's also a really kind of cool little vignette where he takes her on a trail of LA in the same way he, he took the director in hand and so show that you've got uh, Martin introducing Victoria Tennant's character to uh, the, the cemetery where Shakespeare's buried uh, <laughs> but also you've got like Moranis yes as a grave digger Moranis, you know another one of his few roles that you know that do exist because he's been retired for so long that turning over him as a cockney grave digger is just like mad. one of the yeah, many just that choice in itself to be like oh, i'll be this guy but i'll be cockney for like no real reason uh, one of the many so... fun cameos in this film mm. of which peace you is one yeah, um, let's get to the main know, man <laughs> he, he's got he's got two scenes uh two really memorable scenes but he is essentially uh, a cameo along with a bunch of other stars it clearly is like deliberate star cameos uh, in this because by this point you know season four of next generation that's broadcast at the same time as this coming out so you know he's a big star by this point uh very well known mm. and, and he must be playing into that image for, by playing like you know a frenchman as well <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, Mr. Perdue, a maitre d' of Le Idiot, which is the big hot ticket restaurant in <laughs> LA at the time, uh, which you literally have to get like a kind of financial review <laughs> done at your bank in order to be able to book a table. I think what Mr. Perdue is looking for is more than a promise to pay. I think he's looking for a kind of depth in your financial sea, so to speak. Let us make this easier. Suppose you get a reservation, and let us suppose you come down to the restaurant and we honor it. What do you think you might order? Well, um, I might like to have the duck. You can't have the duck. You can't have the duck. Why? You think with a financial statement like this, you can have the duck? Where do you sum up? What do you mean? Where do you spend your summers? Right here. He can have the chicken. You can have the chicken. That's so Uh, funny because I mean that genuinely feels like a sketch you would do now of like you know someone trying to like live in London and be like oh can I afford this like nice restaurant? It's like we'll come in for a finance review and it's just like oh with a financial statement like this you can have the duck. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you summer? He can have the chicken. (laughs) and then uh follows up with a great scene between patrick stewart and chevy chase also cameoing which is a hilarious moment where he's really on the back foot with uh stewart's mr perdo where he says he says oh he'd like a good table this time and he's like i'm sorry that is impossible (laughs) 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 yeah no i I mean peace is really funny in this and because it's such a different vibe to um Jean-Luc Picard who he was obviously playing at the time this is this is the only uh film he lent his name to in 1991 so the thing he found had time to cram in while shooting Next Generation uh, randomly this film was released on February 8th 1991 the very next day season 4 episode 14 of The Next Generation Clues broadcast for the first time so 
this week was an absolute double bill extravaganza for Peace Chief fans back in 1991. And he was also performing his one-man show of A Christmas Carol on Broadway in this year as well. So, you know, really, really cool year for him. Um, Peace Chief, I'm currently reading his memoir, Making It So, which is his autobiography. Uh, when I say I'm reading it, I'm listening to it as an audio book. Has it got um, to this bit? Uh, no, yeah, it has, hasn't got to the chapter on LA story just yet. I don't um, think there probably will be one. Well, uh, no. <laughs> uh, but he has got to starting to talk about Next Generation when um, he took that on. He tells an absolutely hilarious story about very early on in the shooting of Next Generation. And it must be early on because Denise Crosby's there. And <laughs> so, oh, during Denise. Se- so during season <laughs> one, uh, basically, and he, what's brilliant is because Pichu obviously looks back at this and, can take the, and repeatedly takes the piss out of himself because he's like, oh my God, what a ridiculous man I was. Where he was basically taking like the role really super seriously at the beginning in season one he said later on he would go on to be like the most uh misbehaved like member of the cast but in season <laughs> one he was taken really seriously and he was like absolutely revolted at all his american co-stars who were come kind of mucking about having a bit of a laugh and he stood up and gave a big speech like early on in the shooting basically chastising the rest of the cast for mucking about and having a laugh and kind of joking in between takes and he was just like you know we're letting down our crew and like you know laughing between takes disgusting like you know, just literally was basically like having a go at everyone and Denise Crosby apparently piped up went oh come on Patrick we gotta have fun sometimes and he went we are not here to have fun <laughs> <laughs> Literally, just apparently everyone just cracked up at him and laughed, and he never lived it down. Like, again, and people would like bring it up for the rest of the time they were on set. And, uh, but he really, like, he's clearly like cruelly embarrassed now. But his memoir is absolutely fantastic. He is a really fascinating guy. He's had an amazing life, especially as I mean, he is working class hero to the max. Like when you hear about his upbringing in like working class Yorkshire is it's pretty hardcore growing up kind of you know in the 40s and stuff in that situation and obviously his father was abusive as well and yeah it's it's fascinating to hear how he became an actor and was able to kind of break out of the mire and stuff and just uh, become the man he is today and yeah it's, it's fascinating i would recommend it to everyone it is actually available on spotify if you've got a spotify premium account uh you can listen to peace you reading the unabridged version of the autobiography on there now and it's yeah it's brilliant abridged yes. yeah, yeah 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 it's like literally like four Captain hours of <laughs> but yeah it's, it's really really interesting and it is it really got me in the mood to see another patrick stewart performance that i hadn't caught before so this this is really really cool to see and he's oh, so much it's, fun it's here. the best cameo in the film yes i agree because yeah. it, it is it's extremely memorable and it you know it, it it's a fantastic performance in that in his two short scenes. He really stands out. You know, you've got Woody Harrelson in there. Chevy Chase, obviously, Chase, with, yeah. with Peace Chew. You know, uh, the, the Morales bit is funny, but like, you know, Peace Chew steals like his bit mm, for sure. Yes. And um, yeah. 
yeah, I think it's, it's it's a really good choice to put him in there at the of the height of his kind of TV fame almost. Well, uh, he steals away the funnies from Chevy Chase, who was a fellow wild. Well, by crazy 1981, guy everybody was, Martin. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is like he walks away with that seat completely. Yeah, it's so, not yeah. uh, it's not far off the Chevy Chase show, so it's all downhill from here. Yes, uh, yeah. It's, it's it's funny. I rewatched well, I watched the uh, a trailer for this on YouTube just before hopping on this call, and it's it's kind of you know goes through just highlights a few scenes it's just like oh yeah la there's the restaurant scene the social scene the professional scene and there's a clip with uh, john lithgow who's another cameo whose mm, uh, yes. scenes are cut from the film because i remember going wait a minute i remember this have you and seen it, that scene yeah so it's him talking to martin and being like oh yeah never never run to a meeting uh, it always looks too desperate so just skip instead <laughs> if you need to get somewhere quickly and then it cuts to martin like skipping across the but street to like rush into a building have um, you watched the whole scene though no is the whole thing available yeah, it's on youtube oh, yeah but it's it's not good like, oh no uh oh, you, it, it's it's one of those things where it's just like this went a bit too far i'm really glad it's cut because he arrives on, in a jetpack to the meeting in a jetpack. I, <laughs> I wonder if that. I wonder if that was uh, like test audience notes or something. Then because that trailer at the end, you see the credit block and it's and John Lithgow. He's yeah, he's, not, yeah. he's not even an uncredited cameo. He is and John Lithgow no, for it. And I wonder. Like it just puts the toe. If it was in the movie, it just that one bit of it's just got too stupid for a minute. Yeah. And I think you know, it plays it so close to the very but it's yeah. It's just like you you tipped over the scale and it it would sink. Maybe the film from there on in. So perhaps, yeah, it's wisely cut, wisely exercised. I think there's yeah. a few scenes on the Blu-ray from uh, Shout Factory. I think, especially when so much else is so smart. So I think maybe my maybe my single biggest laugh in this is when uh, they're on the weekend away. And Steve Martin and Sergeant Parker are having sex, as is Victoria Tennant and Ridgely Grant. And it does the little um, animated thought bubbles of who they're thinking of. And they're all thinking yeah. of different... One of them's thinking of the other one, and then the other person's thinking of Mel Gibson. And that cuts to Ridgely Grant and that. And she's thinking okay. of Steve Martin, and he's thinking of Mel Gibson. It was brilliant. <laughs> Back to the deleted scenes. Because the deleted scenes, of course, reveal another Star Trek connection as one of oh. the deleted scenes scenes is a scene with scott bacula so uh yeah i'm not 100 sure i think he might have been playing um the neighbor the neighbor maybe but yeah uh, he's scott bacula did film a scene but it is deleted from the film so uh, essentially we could have had two starfleet captains in one film but unfortunately not Obviously, this would be before Backler even took on the role of Archer in Enterprise, mm. but when he would have already been famous for Quantum Leap, of course. I think uh, the ending of the movie reminds me of uh, the ending of One from the Heart, Francis Coppola's like much maligned, you know, film that sunk him in his studio, but the next like twelve years paying it off. But it has a sort of you know two people, you know, separate places of a plane taking off in the rain. Yeah, it just that movie. Like I love it. I don't think the ending is the its strongest point, whereas I think perhaps the LA story really does end so well. I think it's a terrific bit of editing, the final sequence. And yeah, it just leaves you really kind of fulfilled and, and really happy. Like I left the finished the movie and just go, that's I really like that. That's right up my street. Yeah, so you just go, that's just one of my favorite that's one of my favorites now. That's gonna stay there. <laughs> It's very smartly written. And like you say, it managed to bridge that gap between a kind of sketch comedy and something like proper in terms of it got definitely got some Woody Allen vibes to some of it, I think. Well he called but, it yeah. West Manhattan. 
oh Manhattan really West. yeah that's like his like working title in a sense like you know for this yeah but like can, I, can I share another like because uh, yeah, another thing about martin that people don't know is i think you know the weatherman persona of this movie is how the public sees steve martin in 1991 as the wacky steve martin if people have grown up in his jerk through the 80s work you know him doing those that shtick and then you see the kind of the, the man behind that persona and he's a lot more considered very kind of mm. thoughtful you know, really art. this is just him playing you know really showing us who he is you know he collected an immense art collection uh i'm presumed to this day he's got he maintains it and there's a really funny anecdote about how martin short when he met martin and went over his house for the first time and he looked around and gazed at like the Cezannes, the Picassos, the originals all adorning his walls. And he goes, how did you get so rich? Because I've seen your work. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe Oliver Putnam was born then. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> of course, only murders in the building, which is now weirdly what Steve Martin, you know, there will be a generation of people who know Steve Martin most well from Only Murders in the Building, the TV series he currently stars oh, in. You know, Sophie, just, we've got to the third season now, and, you know, we've got Meryl Streep just introduced, and uh, yes. yeah, the, the guy who plays the ant in Paul this Rudd. Film. Yeah. And, <laughs> the Ant-Man, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Man-Ant. But, yeah, she's like, how, you know, we've slept on this. Like, how are these big stars? Go, you, I think you forget, like, Steve Martin is a megastar who yeah. has been around forever. And during that time, he's probably picked up a lot of celebrity friends. Same with Martin Short, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. And I think it just, it's not a stretch to imagine, like, you know, he's got people who call up and go, do you want to be in this? And they'll be like, anything for you, Steve. Either on the Rolodex or people who want to work with him. I mean, someone like Paul Rudd is a good example in terms of, because he will be someone who I can just imagine would just look up to someone like Steve Martin and want to work with him at the end of the day. Well, you know, the opportunities to do that are going to be few and far between. I think Mm. he's probably going to retire after this well he's he's said see he said that basically when only murders the building ends that's him done yeah like you know in movies and tv and so i mean i know obviously steve martin's written some books and i think he might do some more of that Mm -hmm. but he's 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 a mean banjo player as well yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. but he's openly said that yeah only murders the building is the last thing he's gonna do yeah well just think of all those all those you know the youngsters today watching only murders who do the ones who do decide to reach out and be like oh i like this guy what else has he done and doing a sort of filmography deep dive like like we've been doing and all gold they'll be graced with but i think chief by the dozen has probably kept him in the kind of like they're they're, they're a big they're a big part of a lot of people who are younger the generation that came after us I've not seen either of them, but I know they, they mean a lot to some people I know. Uh, I mean, excommunicate <laughs> uh, ex- ex- these people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, then again, I mean, what what's worse, Matt? The Cheaper the, by the Dozen films or his Pink Panther films? Oh, see, I've done both Cheaper by the Dozens. I have not done his Pink Panthers. So... You've not done either? No. You've not done either? Are you sure? No. Yeah. Uh-huh. Check, like cheap, check your own this? ranking. I know. <laughs> so Invalid. I mean. I've still got a lot to do because I've not done the Pink Panthers. I've not done his Sergeant Bilko. I mean, you know, it's it's some in of the, the dregs I've got to do. But yeah, um... I mean, these no, are the fucking dregs. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I but, mean, you know, I have done stuff like A Simple Twist of Fate and My Blue Heaven. My uh, Blue Heaven looks like a, it could be like a one joke wonder yeah uh, from what i remember it's not good house sitter is what's currently sitting at the bottom of my uh my which list. is the one that's basically a goodfellas sequel that's my blue heaven 
Uh, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I am interested in seeing that just for that reason. Because, I mean, that is that's a fascinating thing. That's one of those weird kind of like things where you're just going like, because it's based on Henry Hill's kind of like after he like you're waiting to witness protection yeah yeah, yeah. with gangster and suburbia like yeah you know, uh, that is that is fascinating it's a, good, it's a good premise like you know i, I like it's, it's it's gonna be a total curio yes uh, yeah i've been I watching a lot of snl yeah. Um, oh yeah yeah so where he would kind of guest on that and uh his king tut routine is very good yeah snl is one of those things where you know everyone's like Oh my god, the it's legendary. But I'm like, is it legendary, or is it just a case of the people who were in it went became on to legends. Be legendary? Yeah, yeah because yeah, yeah. it's one of those it's... ones. Whenever I see sketches from SNL, I'm just like, yawn. <laughs> well, I, I've been doing it like I've been going on like a rap YouTube deep uh, dive. One of these guys has like inspired me to go look at some of this stuff. Yeah. Some of it is quite amusing, but some of it's just like. Yeah, like it's not my it's not my cup of tea. Let's put it that way. But yeah, then yeah. Exorcist Two with Richard Pryor, like, is quite funny. Oh uh, yeah, that does sound funny. Like, um, <laughs> that was good. And then also like a uh, Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor doing kind of like a racist like a job interview. Hilarious. Where, where like Chevy Chase does like you know, word association and like does like use those racial slurs and they basically trade back slurs. It's like this would never get made today, but it no. is. It's sort of a. Uh, <laughs> It is just a a one off. Like it's uh, it is something yeah. else. Uh, yeah. Bill Murray as well. Cut, you know, cutting his teeth like very early on. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean the the the, the people of his involved really because he, but, he was bombing yeah. to begin with, and he kind of did like a whole piece to camera at the start of the season, just saying like, "Yeah, I know I'm bombing, but if you could find it in your heart to like, you know, cheer me on, I've got a lot of people to depend on me. I've got like, and he just lists like this really extended family who are like waiting for checks from him, and it just goes on, and it just gets better and better for like the way Bill Murray just deadpans to the camera with his plea to like let him stay on the show. It's inspired. My sister Nancy is a nun. My mom works to support the family. That's all beside the point. It's no concern of yours whether or not they need the money I make. <laughs> what I'm talking about is between you and me. If you could see it in your heart to laugh whenever I say something, I don't care what it is, or if you can't laugh, think about my family and the father that I never really got to know. If I know you're on my side, I'll make you laugh so hard, you'll have to hold your sides to keep from pulling a muscle or tearing a cartilage. It's up to you. Yeah, you. Now, I don't want letters. I just want to make it as a not-ready-for-prime-time player. And when that's done, I'll be able to stand here on a Saturday night in the middle of Rockefeller Plaza, New York City, New York, 10020, <laughs> and say, Dad, I did it. He'd like that. Maybe I'll have to go down the rabbit hole and check out some early sketches. But I mean, you know, I, I feel like this is something very different, despite the fact that there are moments of this that feel like sketches. You know, I, I think this is kind of, you know, cut above and something quite different from that SNL style, you know, in terms mm. of the skewering that's going on here. And I think like it is different. It is it must have been a massive departure for him at the time compared to what he did in the eighties. This this really feels like something completely different. I haven't seen Roxanne, so I don't know if that if you feel like Matt, this is that is something that is actually closer to this. Than maybe yeah. I assume, but I, I don't think so from what I've seen. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, it's 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 fine, but I don't. I, I never really tried with that one. 
yeah yeah it's not as, it's not as confident in its in, in a totality as this is it's kind of got some weird ideas in there it's good i quite like it but um yeah i much prefer this we've mentioned the director a couple of times mick jackson like you say british director actually probably most famous i would say for directing the tv movie freds which is about the aftermath of like nuclear apocalypse and it's the perfect um, guy because it is literally one of the most famous british tv movies of all time and he went on to direct the bodyguard never seen it no, neither have I. Deep That's where I'm up to. I used to have things I've not seen, like The Wizard of Oz. Now I'm down <laughs> to the bodyguard. <laughs> I've seen, the, I've seen the video of people fighting in a performance of the Bodyguard musical because some people in the audience wouldn't shut the fuck up. Like, and so yeah. I ended up in a punch up. But I have somebody called the bodyguard. bodyguard itself. <laughs> yeah. um, Volcano, he directed the Tommy Lee Jones disaster movie. Uh-huh. The um, toast a, is toast. <laughs> a more recently, Denial, which is a kind of true life drama starring Timothy Spall, which I think also has Rachel Vice in it. Doesn't yes, it? it does. Yes, oh, it's, uh, it's about the okay. uh, Holocaust denier played by Timothy yeah, Spall. Yeah, I, I, I want to see it. it looks I know really Daryl's Daryl's just watched it very recently. Um, he gave it four our... stars. Yeah, as part of the sort of other Rachel Vice stuff we're watching to go alongside our Vice City season of all, Is Bordeno Okay? Tell us about um, your latest season of your podcast, Matt. Yes, well, last we would have mentioned it. It would have been in the middle of our Clancy Brown era, no doubt, uh, when we were looking at eight projects from Mr. Clancy Brown, which had you uh, guessing Liam for Shawshank Redemption. Uh, and we have rebranded once again for a mini season on Rachel Vice called Vice City. And uh, inspired, like that's I, a great time. I love it. And Steve, Steve knocked the logo out of the park again, especially yeah. tying it all into GTA Vice City. And yeah, time of recording, the first episode has just come out. So by the time this is out, there'll be a few more, but we're going to have a little break over Christmas as well. But um, yeah, eight episodes. Denial is not one of them. Right. If you listen to episode four, which is on The Fountain, I think it's in that one that Daryl talks about having watched Denial um, for a bit of Mick Jackson crossover there. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, no, I, I just started listening to the latest season the other day with the Mummy episode. Yes. Which was very good. Uh, well, was it, that was the other film we saw in the summer 99. Yeah. Well, I, I say on the episode, I vividly remember us seeing Mummy Returns, but did we also see the Mummy? We saw one? the Mummy. The Mummy was pivotal for me to like actually just to go to movies with friends right and, yeah yeah because we had godzilla it's like kind of an outlier but like the mummy was the second film we saw together and after that it was like we got the bug and we yeah. just became regular cinema guys well. well that's it because i say i remember you me and other paul paul cooper having seen mummy returns and even at that tender age of yeah. 15 16 <laughs> being like this wasn't as good was it no it wasn't <laughs> we and could think, tell <laughs> we could tell and i think i remember somebody like first uh, heartbreak Everyone when Rachel Vice in Bunny Years dies in the film, there's some like town he goes, wah, wah, wah. Like, you know, I was like, yeah, they get it. This film is shit. <laughs> uh, though it has, I, it has been, I do throw it on occasionally, like weirdly, because I just like the characters and I like, you know, yeah, that, that, the bummy verse. <laughs> we, just, we just wanted more adventures with Rick and Evie fighting yeah. monsters. I like, the, I like the idea of them fighting monsters that beyond 
the mummy. Sophie did, and she heard that was a stupid idea. Sorry, Daryl. But I was like, no, I'm with you, Daryl. Like, uh, you know, the Mummy 3, 2 of the Dragon Emperor would be better if it was the Mummy versus the Wolfman. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yes. 100% I feel or Rick, Rick, a, and, Rick and Evie kicking, you know, Rick and Evie versus a, a universal monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They should better than that Van Helsing one. shit we had to do with <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. It's awful, <laughs> Van Helsing. Absolutely. You know, and it's terrible. I just felt like, oh, is this something, you know, a lot of the time when you kind of revisit films from two, the 2000s or the 90s that you kind of like, oh, that's just not for me when it came out. It's a bit shit. And you kind of rewatch them now. And you've seen so many kind of bland movies that you go, God, there was actually something in this. Van yeah. Helsing is Natural not one artistry. It's like, yeah, oh, look, at they shot on film. It's like brilliantly lit. It's like quite, quite good. It's got good score. It's actually quite memorable. Van Helsing is none of those things. <laughs> you, you, so what you're saying is Van Helsing could have been released like this week and it would fit right in. Yeah. 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 yeah I think yeah, it's yeah. like it's almost, that bad. yeah, it is like, uh, it's ahead of its time in terms of like what we we're going to get later on. <laughs> <laughs> ahead of its time of how bad it is. Yeah. yeah 100%. Yeah, yeah. But so final thoughts on Lele's story. Yes. Let's do final thoughts. Paul, why don't you start us off? Oh, I, I think I've kind of I final forwarded it a, you know, a few times over today to say like I really like this movie. I, I recommend it. Do track it down. It might show another sign to Martin that you didn't you didn't expect. Uh it is Martin at his most transparent. This is the real you know, it's close to the real Martin will get on screen. And it's and it's all the better for it. It's it's a real singular piece of art. It's an art movie with some laughs in it. And uh I think if you're a fan of Punch Drunk Love, like you might get a lot mm. from this movie. It's kind of like a, a forerunner of that movie. And what would your star rating be? I have four stars. Very good. So for me, I really, really enjoyed this. I thought it was consistently funny, really smart. I didn't quite love it as much as you guys, but not in a kind of, you know, any bad way. I, I just literally just didn't take it to my heart quite as much but i did i really enjoyed it and maybe Mm. on a second watch it might like it even more but yeah i think it's a really smart funny surreal film and surreal in a good way because surreal can be hit and miss with me but uh, i think this completely works and yeah you know it's probably yet one of the defining statements on la culture in many ways because there's lots of stuff in this because it was made in 1991 which i still hear people saying like similar things about la now in terms of the commentary that's made here so i i think you know he really nailed it so it's a really strong three and a half stars for me with with a little heart uh yeah really enjoyed it matt mm, yeah well i mean Following on from what you're saying about it being, you know, a real great LA movie, it says on the wiki in 2008, it was voted the 20th best film set in LA in the last 25 years, uh, with the criteria for this list being uh, the film had to communicate some inherent truth about the LA experience and only one film per director was allowed on the list. And also I watched the, um, there's a very short sort of two minute review from Roger Ebert on YouTube mm-hmm. as well, in which he really loved it. And he gave it four stars, which um, that and, might be that he was not a Steve Martin fan. Yeah, and I think four, four is like the highest they went on that, right? Eber, like, yeah, yeah Eber's like Halliwell, where four is the highest you can get. So four is a five. Yeah, so yeah. very impressive. But yeah, no, I I give it a four as well as as old Rog. And I think, you know, what, what Paul said, I think it's a film where it's an art film and a mainstream film and they're not mutually unexclusive. You know, it's like a, a time when you can make a film with, with care and attention that's also for the masses and, and brings people in because, you know, this was a box office hit as well. You know, if you were going to sort of program or if I was going to program like a Steve Martin night of even like five films, I think this might creep on now. I think, you know, if you chuck in 
the jerk planes trains dirty rot on this and bowfinger like that's a really strong sort of five lineup especially ones where he's very much part of the main uh element of it as well because obviously little shop i love as well but he's uh part of the ensemble in that so yeah again highly recommended and like i say i i really do like early sarah jessica parker roles as well that little run she had in the early 90s with uh, like honeymoon in vegas and then edward after this and hocus pocus as well of course it's a real star making star making mm-hmm. term for her and i really do enjoy seeing seeing her in these early parts yeah that's a really good yeah, a good call you can imagine her sort of having a different vote where she becomes a regular on friends or something like that like yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can totally imagine her playing uh, uh, Rachel or Phoebe or something like that. Like, on she's got that energy, doesn't she? Yeah. Just like it's it's very seldom seen. I mean, and I suppose Carrie Bradshaw is like a defining character, isn't it? And it's sort of yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's it's, it's <laughs> yeah. like you know she had her time. It just it just surprised it didn't happen early for her. I mean, she's still fucking yeah. playing her. So like, yeah, you know, she, like yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think we need to worry about uh, SJP. She's done, she's done very well for us. Yeah. But Matt, and uh, this actually pushed up into your Steve Martin top ten on rewatch, didn't it? Yes, yes, I was having a little look and I thought, you know what, yeah, this is going to go up. So it was sitting at about, what was it, 11 or 12 or something? Yeah. It's now up at 8, so I've I've just bumped it across Father of the Bride, Parenthood and Three Amigos. But um, a lot of these, it's, you know, I go many years without seeing them. So maybe some of these as well, at a different stage in life, I see again and it lands a different way. What's just um, in front of it? Uh, Muppet Movie and the Jerk. I've never seen the Muppet movie, so the, that's probably why. The Muppet, movie's a, Muppet movie's a tricky one because obviously there's a cameo in it. So I was like, do I, yeah, if I rate this as a, as a Steve Martin film, it has to go low, but it's the Muppet movie and that's great. So it has to go <laughs> somewhere. Um, so that's tricky. This is, th- that is very difficult, isn't it? Because I, I keep a ranking of Stallone films because obviously I'm mm. a massive Sly fan. I've seen, uh, I've just hit, 50 films of his I've seen at, the, at this point but in the top I think or at least close to the top 10 are his two Guardians of the Galaxy films mm. I mean the third one especially obviously I absolutely loved but it's that thing of like he's a not a, not a tiny role he's not a cameo but he's a small role in those films and it's that thing of like I feel like I need to include them in like the overall ranking. But if I was going, if someone's going to invite me on a podcast, I say to do a Stallone ranking or so, I think I'd have to be like, look, these need to be discounted. It needs to just be films where he <laughs> yeah, stars I think, in the lead. I think your uh, your rule about like, can you program an all nighter? Yes, and that's yes, that should yeah. be the kind of like ranking essentially. Like, what are the yes six yeah. or five? Yeah, how long how long was just Stallone on? Is it five six seven seven seven? seven yeah. Well, you know. More fun for the more fun for all the family, you know. I presume they have seven good movies. Um, yeah, yeah. I I could do. I, I I was when we saw did the Stone All Night. I was like, I can program another Stone All Night on top of that right fucking now. <laughs> let's go. <Yeah. laughs> yeah, let's get straight back in. Well, There's the man the... who had to nap through Demolition Man. <laughs> <laughs> another seven He's movies. Only human, Matt. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, it's tricky because, yeah. like, on on you know, on the same basis as well, you know, something like the Prince of Egypt that Steve Martin has a voice in. Where does that yes. land? Well, that's not a Steve Martin movie, but he's in it. No. And there's yeah, a few yeah, other yeah. ones like that that I could potentially see. And I'm like, I don't know where I'd put this on the yeah, list. Yeah, maybe have to if put it was something good. in the description. Well, maybe when it gets because a lot of these, like a lot of these lists, right? Unlike you, Matt, because you keep <laughs> a lot, you keep these lists public, having that where it's like I've got yeah, a you, bunch that are private. Oh, that you have got like, some 
hot Filled private out, ones. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but there's a bunch that are public, and you're building on them over time. Whereas yeah. most of the ones where I'm like, it's not finished yet. Like, <laughs> you like once I've seen everything, then it yeah, gets Yeah, so my like sly one is private at the moment. And then when I've got to a point where I've seen not necessarily everything, but everything I'm like, I definitely want to see, like I now, like I'll post it. And maybe at that point, I should change it put a description going like make it down to mm. like a top 10 or top 20 and then go like put to say oh this is only including films where he's yeah. like either the lead or like the co-lead like creed you obviously have to have creed in there or something like that but he's like the co-lead of creed yeah you know well, I mean? well some, like, of the, some of these lists i keep I, I have public because it's like a discovery as i'm going along i'm open yes. to saying like oh as i go through and do these or rewatch these I add to this ever morphing list. And then some of the ones where it's like, oh, like I've got a big sort of Marty Scorsese list somewhere, but there's a load of his stuff I need to rewatch. And so it's showing up as unwatched on my letterbox mm. at the moment and stuff. And I'm like, well, with that, I'd be like, I'd want to see them all and then put the list up uh, as opposed to going, here's a list with like one film in and have loads of people be like, oh, what you've only seen one yeah, Scorsese. Yeah. It's like, well, obviously not, but yeah. I've got my Scorsese list building also in private 25 films thus far. Just I did the last temptation of Christ the other day, which went sunk almost right to the bottom. It's not Ooh. quite the bottom place at the moment is New York, New York, but yeah, it's the, so, only, maybe. only one up from there. What? Like, yeah. Yeah. You, were, you know, like, Oh shit. Sorry. I, I thought you meant New York stories for a second. I was oh, like, oh no, no, no. Uh, New like... York stories is the next on my list. Yeah, so well, I'll, I'll be watching his, that next. One of the best short movies I've ever made. Like, oh like, wow, but... okay, okay. Obviously, that's a weird one. Because but yeah, New York, New York is. I tried watching it again, and I was like, I can't get into this at all. It's fucking horrible. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where even New York, New York scrapes a free star for me at the end of the day. Like you know, but it's still, but for Marty's list, well, that's it's right very generous. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great, but that's the thing. That's the, the Marty magic. He's that good. That's his weakest for me, and that scrapes are free. I was gonna say, like, so we're not, you know, just perhaps it's a little bit late for it, but like, just Martin and just looking, thinking about like what it's when he's across another actor and he's playing either a straight man or kind of like off somebody, you know, he's absolutely on fire. And we're talking about mm-hmm. Bowfinger, Tony Brown Scoundrels, and Plain Strains, like where he have you have him essentially anchored a little bit by another comic performer who is just it's just beautifully matched and um when steve white is in a pairing like that there's nobody mm-hmm. there i mean you've Whoa. got eddie murphy you got john candy and then michael kane who'd have thought you know that's exactly yeah. the type of uh and they said they went to michael kane's like chateau in england like you know just i was just clear the chemistry was like there from the for get-go <laughs> and, and i think it's a shame that they've never never reteamed because it was yeah. just such a great dynamic but what i was gonna say was you've missed one out there in terms of i mean not a lead role for steve mark but certainly fits within the pairing with another great comic actor and it is in fact my favorite film starring steve martin little shop of horrors where of course he has a very famous scene with bill murray Mm -hmm. another comedy legend and that scene is hilarious (laughs) where Steve Martin is basically the sadomasochist dentist, and Bill Murray is his patient. Next! It's me, Arthur Denton. I'm next! Nurse! Hmm? Does uh, that have an appointment? Ask it. I'm off duty. I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. Let's go. Higher history of dental problems. Shut up! Yes, doctor. 
Steve Martin's in multiple scenes in the film. He's, he's he is like a major supporting role yeah. um, in the movie. But I find him. Absolutely it's also weird. It's the film. only Bill Murray performance between that and Scrooge. Like in his during his hiatus, does yeah he went like you know into you know, you read it in the book, but like yes, he went yeah, to yeah. France and was just going to university, hanging out at yes. lectures. You know, he just wanted to do anything but be famous. And that was like the one exception was coming on to do that bit in Little Shop. Maria Margulies, like also chats about, she was one of the uh, nurses in that sequence. Mm. And she's got like a permanent injury from Steve Martin, like pushing past her or something like that. <laughs> or whacking her, you know, in the face or something again and again. <laughs> Maria Margulies is always saying she got like horribly attacked on like yeah. uh, films because she claims well, she, she Arnold fired in her face yes. the end of day. <laughs> I mean, it most bizarre. Thing. The thing is, it's one of those things where I'm like, it sounds like Miriam Margulies just being her usual crazy self, but at the same time, it's something I can imagine Arnie doing. Yes, <laughs> get to the crapper. <laughs> well, <laughs> on that note, you can find us. Oh, at... you always do it to me. Like I was just like end on a toilet joke, and you're like, that's it. You can find us at Spotlight Pod on Instagram, X, and Facebook. Matt, you yes. can listen to you at other places as well. Yes, come find Is Paul Dano OK at Is Paul Dano OK on Twitter and Instagram and your pod feeds uh, where we're still in Vice City. So come join us there where the sun is a-shining. Hugely recommended. Um, we will be back for our Christmas special where we are going to be covering the two Christmas specials of Boston Legal, William Shatner's legal drama, which I'm really, really looking forward to. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. That'll be the next thing out. So we will be back for that. Paul, you're available on Letterboxd and that is it, isn't it? <laughs> yes it is <laughs> literally nowhere nowhere else you could also find me on letterbox at oh, the um... demps matt you are on letterbox as well yeah um, matt underscore and... bro there you go if you want to see matt's uh yes it is a steve martin one. list is it public yes mm-hmm. it is yeah there you go you can check that out uh so find us all on letterbox that's where you can kind of see all our kind of movie updates uh there is actually a list on there of all of the films we've covered as part of spotlight of the movies uh listing all the guests we've had for the episodes as well um so have a look at that and see if there's any other movies you want to check out and we'll definitely be back with another spotlight of the movies at some point got lots planned as always but until next time i call it a podcast but my friend ariel calls it wasting time history will decide